What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. I'm your host, Daniel Priori, and I am joined by Rudy Caceres. Rudy is a mental health advocate. He's an award-winning public speaker, a live streamer, which I want to talk to you about, social media influencer, manager, storytelling, event producer. The list goes on and on. Rudy Caceres, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show today. It's a pleasure. It's been a long time in the making. I think um, your assistant reached out to me maybe like two or three months ago, and we finally made it work. So I'm so happy about that because my producer always sends me these amazing like note packages. Very intricate. I get to find out so much about the guests. And it's almost to the point like I can't wait to talk to this person. So that's how it was this week. For all of our guests, I'm super excited because I get them like a week before and I study them a little bit and you know, I stalked you a little bit and then, you know, and then uh, we, we get the chat. So I'm really, really excited. So Rudy, at what age do you think you started to notice that you were having some mental health issues? Uh, I mean, since I can remember. So I grew up with a family that has mental illness, like running through it. And there's all kinds of trauma and uh, abuse and neglect and you name it, like just a health the adulthood that would not make for anyone. And so like I was just a very depressed, uh, traumatized kid and grew up to be a depressed, traumatized adult. Yeah. Yeah. It's usually how it works. See, I didn't really get a chance like myself to get a grasp and an understanding on it. Like maybe until I was like 16 or 17, I could kind of start to tell that something was going on, but it would come and go and there would be a lot of things that I dealt with too. Like, so three years old, right? So you basically have been dealing with depression, anxiety your entire life. Let me just commend you first, because as somebody who struggles with those two things, I know how difficult it can be on a day-to-day basis of just getting through normal shit. I've said many times on the show, you know, when I'm going through it, it's like, I forget to shower. Like, I don't care about eating. I don't care about doing anything really. So I commend you on just seeing the growth that you've had. The next thing I wanted to get into was you wanted to be an actor, right? I don't really have a passion for like the cattle calls and like just like all the bullshit that goes along with like Hollywood and stuff. And I have a passion for being in front of people, being on a stage. That's why I got into public speaking, actually, is that like I got disillusioned by acting like this wasn't going to work out. And I wanted to still like have some kind of presence. And I thought like public speaking would be great because like I'm the lead in my own story. And so I get to cast myself as the lead every time and I don't have any lines to memorize. Yeah. It's like you're (laughs) directing your own life for you. When did you kind of like get the, I want to be front and center. Like I would like to be an actor. Like when did that bug kind of hit you? Were you ever shy? Are you nervous when you do public speaking now? That's another one of those things where like since the very beginning, like I loved being in front of people and I've always been shy. It's hard for me to open up. It's hard for me to go into a crowd of people and and, like being, hey, how's it going? Like I'm the guy who like hides in the corner and hopes people come to me. (laughs) 
Right, right. And so it, it got a little easier, like once I started like doing stuff with my life and like having reasons for people to actually come to me. But I always like, have struggled with self-esteem, body image issues, uh, uh, just self-worth. And so it's a weird mix. I know a lot of other people who are public figures, who are public speakers and actors, and they are not people, 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 people either. <laughs> People, people, yeah. People, people works. I like people, people. They're closed off. They're um, introverts. Oh, there we go. Introverts. Yeah, that's my favorite game is try to guess the word that somebody's thinking of. But you beat me. Well done. Yeah. And so it is an odd mix, but like I, I do love it. I, I've always felt like I was meant for great things in life. And so I always have this battle in my head where like I feel like I'm not doing enough. And so I always have to keep pushing myself, which is a blessing and a curse because some people are just content with just like laying around all day and like not really like amounting to anything as long as they can pay the bills, you know, and like have a roof over their head. That is not enough for me. Like I have to always think about like what could be next, what what could have been if I hadn't wasted that day. Did you ever like do any acting in school? Yeah, actually, I didn't get into it until my senior year of high school. I'd always wanted to do it since even elementary school. My sister did it and I was so jealous because I thought like I'd be 10 times better than her. And so I, I loved it though. Like I, I wish I had started it sooner because it was like really the only thing good, positive going on in my life. Cause I was failing all my classes. I was barely graduated. Me too. It was sad. Yeah. They kind of just let me walk just so like I didn't come back ever again. Yeah. And thankfully like the, it, it took a while for the theater teacher to realize I was doing so poorly my grades. Cause you usually have to have like a 2.0 to do extracurricular activities. Right. <laughs> and so like, if they, if they would have took that, that away from me, like I probably would not have graduated because that really kept me going. Like I wanted to come to school every day and like, I, it was the last period too. And so like, I always had that to look forward to, to drive me. Yeah. And I loved that. I, I, I couldn't sing or dance to save my life, but I did musicals. I did like everything I was, I remember the the first play I ever did, my beard fell off in front of like everyone, including my family. And like my co-actor was uh, like playing with it on stage. And I finally just ripped it off. Like once I walked off stage and from there, <laughs> it was a huge passion of mine. And I went to Santa Monica College afterwards, did all kinds of shows there. And then I kind of just ran into a funk and didn't know what to do in my life. This is 2008. And that's uh, when I decided to join the army <laughs> of all places. Right. So 2008, you decide to join the army. Was the army ever something that was ever in your mind at any point in your life? Or was this something that you kind of felt like with where I'm at in my life right now, I feel like I have to do something drastic to like kind of give my life a sense of quote unquote meaning. That was never, never the idea. Like I, in my mind, I was going to be like the next Jim Carrey or Tom Hanks role yeah. in one. And when I, I wasn't able to make that transition from going to school to like going out to the calls and all that stuff because of those self-worth issues that I've been dealing with my entire life. I couldn't find any other work. I remember the one job I did get hired for was a radio shack. And I went all the way to like getting an interview with the district manager. He liked me. They hired me. And then like 10 minutes later, they call me back and say like they, my social security number matched with someone else when they were doing the background check. And even though it was because of identity death, they right. fixed it right away. They said there's a mandatory six month waiting limit to reapply. And it was right there and, and there, like I'm joining the army, like there, cause there's nothing else. No one else will hire me. Like uh, the army at that time, they'll take anyone. Your home life was still pretty tough at that time, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like, I was, I was still living with family and I, 
never really uh, like left the nest. And so I knew something drastic had to happen because I knew I had his potential. Everyone else knew it and I was wasting it away and something had to happen, something big. So I can go from being just bum basically to like an American hero. Right. Overnight, we think you probably like it's like, oh, overnight, like I'm going over there. At least overnight, like my life will change. I'll go from living with my family to like living like in bunkers or um, barracks and I'll have something to work towards every day. I'll be making my own money. No one can say I'm taking any handouts and work my ass off and like show people, yeah, I can work hard. I can work harder than all of you because all you people here go into your jobs at the grocery stores and the restaurants and all that stuff as, as, as important as that job is, it is not as hard and never will be as being in the army. That was the hardest thing right. ever in my entire life. Uh, so you go to the, you go to the army, you enlist, right? How far between like the time you enlisted to like you were in boot camp? It's funny. Most people can ship out like within a week or two. It took me six months. Everyone's giving you six months. Radio Shack, the army. It's like, what's up with the six month period for you? Yeah, I could have, I could have like reapplied for Radio Shack by <laughs> yeah. like the time I was ready to ship out. And well, I mean, the thing is like, I wanted to go into intelligence because it was basically sold to me that like, I would get to do all these top secret stuff. Like it'd be like, like all this like James Bond type stuff. I'd finally get to see the UFOs and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like, there was like a huge bonus for it too. Like I actually thought about going into broadcasting, like, believe it or not, that wasn't available at the time. And so like, I wanted to just get out of there. And by the time I actually like uh, pulled the trigger, so to speak, and signed it, right, raised, raised my hand, like the, the window for that class that I was supposed to be in had already passed. And like I had the next one was on six months. And so that was a very long six months because I knew I had this life changing thing happening in my life. And like, I, it's not like I can just like start another job or something like that and another career. So I just had this like this limbo stage and knowing that my life will change, but like also my life just being kind of miserable for this time while waiting. Were you so, ever just like, I just want to get out of here or were you like, oh God, I can't fucking go to this place. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny. Cause like, I was so ready to just get out of there. Like they could have put me on the bus that day when I went into the recruiter's office, I actually joined on my 21st birthday. I was that pumped. I, I really wanted to do this. I was motivated. I was committed to it and then wait. And then that filled me with fear because all these things are going in my head. I'm hearing all these horror stories, like all these stuff I'm hearing about on the internet and from others. And thankfully, like I, I finally left and, uh, and the real fun began. Yeah. So let's get, let's get into the real fun, right? Tell me about basic training. I know through the research that we've done, we know what it was like, but just for our audience, can you tell them what your experience in basic training was like? It is like what you see on TV because it is very, very tough. The thing I, I didn't understand beforehand was how much tough it is mentally. Like the physical stuff, it is physically tough, but it's the mental toll because you're around the same people every day, all the time. You don't get any you time. Like there's constantly being yelled at, constantly getting punished. There's always something happening. You can never just like have peace of mind. Like even when you go to sleep, like you can be woken up in the middle of the night and people, people go mad like inside there. I had, I had someone who was, uh, in my platoon, like he suddenly went catatonic and like, uh, I had to like, like forcibly pick him up and put him on the back of a truck. so we can take him to the, uh, emergency room. And, uh, he disappeared for like, like three or four weeks. And then he finally came back and then was released. 
And like, I didn't want that to happen to me. And I, I knew that could happen to me because I had had catatonic episodes beforehand. And I thankfully the army didn't know, but like in my mind, I can't let that happen. So I got to be as strong as possible, even though I was horrible at everything from working the radio to shooting, throwing a grenade, climbing walls, repelling, you name it. I sucked at it. So Listen, I always see like friends that I talk to who are veterans and stuff. The boot camp stories are just like stories that I love because I immediately I'm like, yeah, I can never do this. Like just from the jump, I couldn't even have made it on the bus, to be honest. So you get there. How were you like uh, your campmates? Like, how were they with you? It was funny, like the first week, because I had to wait even longer again, like once I got there, because at first you do like all this in processing and that's a pain in the ass. And it was also snowing. So it's like really cold and you have to like shovel snow just for fun. And then you, you get there and then you got to wait for your other company mates to get there, like file in. And it was, it was uh, intergender too. So like the females come separately. So like the first like week or so, it's just like 13 guys and we were really close in that beginning. And like, we I felt like, you know, like the, the band of brothers and all that stuff, we had each other's backs. And then it slowly came out that like, I, I sucked at everything. And like, and people thought I was gay just cause I was like bad and I wasn't like super macho and all that stuff. And like, it wasn't like hypersexual, like a lot of the other guys were, yeah. and it just kind of like took on a life of its own. And so like, I constantly had to battle that like from everyone, even my drill sergeants, and so it was really bad. Like I actually got along better with the, with the females in the company because like I didn't have to worry about them trying to bully me. I, that's this weird thing. I just like, I've always like done better, like with female friends than, than guy friends, probably just because like of that past of bullying. Past bullying too. And then it's also like, you know, you're going into this place, which is just like the most testosterone filled environment. So like, God forbid you're somewhat different than anybody else in there. The low hanging fruit is that they're going to call you gay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's pretty sad. It's not that intelligent of a, uh, an assumption on somebody's behalf. So if I'm you and I'm in that situation, was it hard for you to keep it together initially in the beginning? Or did you have like a period where mentally like you were okay for a little bit or for the from the jump, you kind of were like, this is a horrible mistake. I mean, I almost cracked the first week of, of basic training and I even requested to speak with the chaplain and I, I'm not really religious, but like the chaplain is like the one person in basic training who like you could talk to and it's not going to yell at you. And like, you can get away from the yelling and the drill sergeants and you can talk to the chaplain about anything and kind of just uh, like have a, have a pause. And I knew that. And so like, that's like, like, like the one thing that could have like saved me at that time is like just getting out of this just momentarily and just having someone tell me that it's going to be okay and that uh, you can make it through this because no one else was telling me that everyone yeah, else sure. wanted me to fail and so i made it through that i talked to the chaplain maybe like the third week or so <laughs> finally i like, got got through it like when i didn't even need it i would have been in that office every day oh yeah and he was he, he was super cool too and like it's it was like it was like a time where like we were actively being punished they call it caping uh it's uh, called uh it's short for corrective action through uh physical exercise like, cool acronym. <laughs> yeah, right. Cool. Yeah. They used to call it smoking in the older days. But yeah, so that was that was good timing at least. But yeah, it was uh it was very hard going and it was the mental toll because the physical, I got better at it. I, I got in the best shape of my life by far. And my knees started like go giving out towards the end. And thankfully I barely passed the physical fitness test. Cause I, if I had to like retake that thing again, I, oh man. 
And there's some people who did who like they couldn't pass the physical fitness test and then they had to get recycled and take basic training over again. And I just, oh man, I no, thank you. you So you said that one of your bunk mates had a catatonic state, but you also said that that you've had catatonic episodes before. What is a catatonic episode? And what is a canatonic episode like? Yeah, so it it could present differently to different people. For me, it was like, I can't, I can't move or talk. Like I, the anxiety is too much. Like, you know, we have that fight or flight response. I couldn't flee the army. I couldn't go AWOL. And I couldn't fight anymore at that time. This is after basic training. So I froze. You can't fight or flight. You freeze. And I froze and I had to be picked up put onto a stretcher and then taken to emergency room and then eventually to the psych ward for seven days. And then when I came back, the post psychologist uh, said, you're done because we can't have this on the battlefield. Someone just completely freezing up on non-responsive when like the, the bombs are going off and all the, all that's going on. Right. And then that took me 10 weeks <laughs> to finally, oh, uh, to go back home and be handed. When you're going through that, right. How long was the catatonic state? Like, is it, like a couple of days, can people stay catatonic forever? Or was this something that you just had for like a week? Thank you for asking that. Cause I, I meant to, to share that. It can be a very long time to the point where like, they have to be like medically like fed through a tube and all that stuff. There's not really a lot you can do to get the person out of it. I don't, I've heard any stories of someone dying from being in a catatonic state. It could be possible. Like if this right. can't get them up, but uh, most people, they, they get out of it after like an hour or two. I have like fairly short catatonic episodes and I can get out of them on my own. Some people like they need to be taken to a, a doctor and like be monitored and to, cause, cause like you can like choke on your own saliva. Cause you're not even like, like swallowing correctly, or you can be in a position where like, like you're in the middle of the street, like something like that, something super dangerous so thankfully every time it's happened it's been in a fairly safe environment yeah it's good like you know at least there there's people around that at least are going to try and help you get better so 10 weeks you stay there are you still doing any training or they're just like getting ready to to discharge you long story short i i i graduated basic training Barely. I don't know how like they'll, it's very hard to actually like learn to, to fail basic training. They give you every opportunity outside of like lifting you up and like running you past the finish line themselves. <laughs> they don't want you to stay. They don't want yeah, you to right. stay as much as like they, they, they call you names and all this stuff. Like they actually want you to make it through and to succeed. Cause that's the point. Like yeah, you, it's like that girl that's mean to you in class, but like secretly has a crush on you and do anything to hang out. With it's you. actually a, it's, it's a really wild trip to see the drill sergeants turn it off on the first time i saw it i didn't believe it like i had heard like whispers from other uh, people who had gone through it's like hey you know it's all an act like they don't they're not really like that they're actually pretty cool people if you talk to them like off duty and i saw it for the first time i was like oh my god this guy is a better actor than i've seen like on, on any stage <laughs> like it's, professional it's, wrestlers yeah it's it's crazy how that works because like it's it's because like they they are truly menacing people when they want to be and then they turn it off and then they're just like super cool they tell you stories they like support you they're like or like they really like care about your emotional needs it's really wild like they're they're parents themselves and so like they like they they know what's going on yeah. um to the someone someone my age with all the fear and doubt and all that stuff and so I, I, I did pass basic training and then I went on to uh, military intelligence training, which was like so different. I went from being in the Ozarks in the snow in Missouri to the desert in Arizona. And I thought it would be, 
it'd be like a much better suit for me because it'd be more academic. It was 10 times more mental toll <laughs> than basic training. And it, there's so much, so much uh, BS that goes on in there. And so like I eventually cracked there where you think it would be easy because like you, you're, you're only two to a room. It's nice. And you have air conditioning. You get to eat burgers and cake all you want, all that stuff and go out on the weekends and uh, all this stuff. And just like some people would like take all their money that they got from the past couple of weeks and just blow it all in the clubs and buy like steak and lobster and all that stuff. Cause it's like, you have nothing else to go to. Like you're, right. you're 20 years old, you're young and dumb, you don't have anyone else to answer to. So why not? Yeah. Right now. Yeah. Why? Well, yeah. I agree. I yeah. probably would spend a ton of my money doing that too. Yeah. And so like I eventually cracked and I, and I, I went to the, the psych ward and then I got out and the platoon I was in was actually, it was called the Hellhounds. <laughs> it was like, that was a dog, dog name. So all the, all of the, the, the platoons in my company all had dog names. And I, I was actually, before I left, I was in my first leadership position. I had never been in a leadership position at all. And I actually felt like I'm I, like, oh my God, like I, this could work. I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. It like kind of goes back I, to when you were a kid, like you kind of yeah. wanted that. Yeah. Yeah, I just had like 10 more weeks to go. I was starting to get the hang of it, or so I thought. And then I just cracked and I get back to my platoon just to be told that I'm no longer in this platoon. I'm in the platoon over there that's only got like 10 people in it and is people are in casts, like people who are in like um, wheelchairs and stuff. Like they, they called them unofficially the hold hounds because they were all on hold to be discharged. So we had one guy who on during his winter break, I had a skiing accident and was completely paralyzed and like would just like hang out like in his like physical fitness gear all day uh, with his walker. And they literally could let him go anywhere because he was he was that messed up. And so it's like, dude, like like you you probably sue us if you wanted to. And so like he literally said free reign for us. All others like we had to do the most menial tasks like they take us to the warehouse and we clean out cots all day with a hose. Like we'd pick weeds out of the, of the, the gravel pits, uh, paint rocks, you name it. Uh, just the worst of the worst. It made you paint rocks. Yeah. Did they just like run out of stuff to like try and get you to do? Oh yeah. Like, cause we can't do nothing. Yeah. They're just like, here, paint this rock. Like we're still, we're still getting paid. And I see everyone else like one by one go away. Like they finally get their papers. It's like, it's like basically like getting like their like uh, last day in prison. Like you finally, you got your release. And it's like, oh my God, I'm finally going to see the light at, like outside. And like, I knew that eventually I would leave in my mind, but it also felt like I would never leave this place. Right. They're actually not going to let me through. Like I'm going to end up like just being stuck here forever. It's like Shutter Island. Yeah. And when I do leave, what do I do next? Like I, I actually cut off communication with like everyone on the outside after I went to the hospital because I was too ashamed to tell them what happened and that I had like a mental breakdown and I was like considered mentally ill. Like I was so ashamed of that and I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't talk to anyone until the day before when I asked my sister to come pick me up from the airport and I was getting discharged. The day I got discharged and left the army would have been the day I would have uh, left from military intelligence training. Oh, wow. If I'd graduated. Yeah. So what's a military psych ward like? Like I've been in a regular psych ward myself. It was pretty nice. We had phones on the wall. We had some nice group sessions. We were able to, uh, you know, have contact with the outside world. What was that like? I and mean, to be fair, it was a civilian psych ward. Actually, like drove like 
two hours to Tucson to, to take me. So that was a fun car ride. Very awkward. There was like also like a lot of military people in there. People would higher ranks than me. And so it was really weird because you have like, like there was like one woman who was there because like her, her husband, like, like basically like 5150 to her, like oh, wow. basically got court order that said you need to get like to go to a psych ward or else like you're going to be completely at fault for this divorce that I'm going to give you because you're right. too, too crazy. And so like, then there was like a, a guy who was a platoon sergeant and got caught with one of the um, soldiers, like at a, a lower rank. So like, uh, you're not, you're not supposed to do that. Right. And so, and then this, this regular people just like, just, just got caught up. They were just like very, very depressed and just needed to go to a psych ward. So they checked themselves in and others who were there. Cause like, it was either that or go to jail. It was really freaky at first. Like I did not want to be there. I didn't think that like I, I needed to be there that I, I, I didn't get any kind of support. Uh, you talk to a therapist, like once or twice while I was there for like 10 minutes, just to ask like the most basic questions. People are always following you. You have no privacy. Like you got to like shave with someone like right, right outside the door. It's yeah. So it was, it was really tar- it, It's just like, you're just sitting around all day and just, you have to like show progress too to get right. out. Do they let you like read? Did they let you like watch TV? Yeah, but it's like the stuff that the, that they have, and right, so you right, can't yeah. you can't even like really write because you can't have like a like a pencil or a pen because they're afraid that you might stab yourself or stab others. So it's very controlled. I remember we watched this movie, uh, Knowing, with um, Nicolas Cage. That's about the end of the world. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know why. It's a great great film choice, guys. Yeah, and so yeah, it, it was it was one of the most like boring things like there's no like we had karaoke that was fun that's <laughs> nice so i'm sure you shined right there though you're like listen i've been trying to do this forever i i've traveled all this way i had to join the army to get this. Like, i know oh. like i was like belting like freddie mercury like i was like i guys guys i got this like before that i was like totally like 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 monotone and like like super like depressed and all that shit and then when i saw when i saw that we had karaoke i was like okay guys i got this yeah <laughs> let me get that mic how long were you in there uh for about seven days yeah that's a long ass seven days i did four I was like, I don't know if I can go a day longer. Oh yeah. And I know some people like they, they're in like, like 10, 20 times, like sometimes for like a month at a time, or like they lived in a, in a residential um, psych facility for an extended period of time. Like I have no clue how anyone can do that. Cause you're treated like a child. You're just like constantly like being like judged and like, you have to worry about your safety even. And it's a tough place and you feel like you have to play the game. You feel like you have to take whatever meds they give you to like go to group therapy, even when you don't want to and participate and raise your hand on stuff just to get out of the place. Not because you want to get better, but because you want to get out of there because that place is making you worse. Now, do you feel that you got any positive benefit from that experience? Absolutely not. And I've been to the psych ward uh, a couple other times and each time, no, because I didn't feel like they were trying to make, like, get me better or to stabilize me. Felt like they were trying to control me. Yeah. And that didn't help. Like, I needed support. I needed people to to help me, like, to, to lift me up and affirm that I had value and that I wasn't a complete failure. And it seemed like they were more worried about, like, not making others uncomfortable, like, with my mental issue. Yeah. You get discharged. You're there. You end up going home. What's like the first day home like? Your sister comes to pick you up. What are you feeling in that moment when you get in the car? Hoping that they wouldn't want to ask me why I left. 
Right. And I told them that I had, I had some medical issue that I didn't want to talk about. And like people thought I had an STD or some, something similar like that. And like, I, I didn't even just want to talk about it. I was just like, go on with blinders. Like, like I'll get through this and I'll talk about it and we'll move on and we'll forget the whole thing ever happened. And so yeah, the first day, like, and they were, they were excited to see me, my family. Like they threw me a barbecue and like, like people came over the house. You were like, cool. Where the hell was this my whole life? Yeah. Like I, I, I didn't even have like birthdays, like where people came and like, like <laughs> fed me. <laughs> and so it felt good for a while that people like, even though like they would have wanted me to succeed, obviously they weren't going to be hard on me or like call me failures and like be ashamed of me. But like, I knew like I had to do something quick or else I was going to completely decompensate. I was going to like lose all my gains, uh, all this stuff. And like day after day, week after week, that's what happened. I thought in my head, like, maybe like I can go back into the army and like once I can recover and all that stuff and get myself back up. And that was not going to happen. So once you get discharged for anything that has to do with mental health, they probably won't take you back, right? It's very, very difficult. You definitely can never have like um had like disability claims and like you can't be like taking any meds at that time because right. like they they won't prescribe you psych meds. And so like if you've like quote unquote fully recovered, which the term that I really like. Yeah, it's just, that's impossible. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I guess it's technically possible, but like I I was not, right, <laughs> not, not right. the kind of person to pull that off. Especially in that moment too, after what you've been going through, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I could trust myself to get through that. Yeah, at the time, like I didn't consider myself disabled. Like it took me a few years to finally apply for disability. And, and thankfully I did because I, I still live off that today. Yeah, no. So for the listeners, were you diagnosed with bipolar prior or during or like a much after? I had no diagnoses before the army. And so, I mean, they ask you like these questions before you get in the army, you take a bunch of tests, like psych evaluations and all that stuff. And I'd never been diagnosed or I never take medication. So I was honest in answering that, even though like I had dealt with all these issues in my life and had seen therapists and, all, and child psychologists, I was actually diagnosed in the army with schizophreniform disorder, which is basically uh, pre-schizophrenia to make it easier because of the catatonic thing. And I didn't have, I didn't experience mania actually until like full blown mania until like 2014. And I was like going to college and I was like 26. And so like, I, I had that, uh, it still says catatonic schizophrenia on my, on my medical records. And so like the bipolar thing came much later, much later. Uh, yeah, I didn't get diagnosed until around 27. I, I never really had anything you know, I, I've experienced mania before that, but once I got into like my late twenties, that's when the mania was like Hulk Hogan, Hulkamania I was running wild at that point. It was rough for me. Did you recognize it right away or did it take you a while to put it all together? It took me a while because like, I've always kind of had bad downs, but for some reason when I was young, I was kind of, you know, I guess I was just kind of naive and people around me were like, Hey, like everybody gets the blues. Like, you know, like this is what, you know, this is what like growing up is like, and like, this is what you did. Like, you know, we all go through it and like, this is what we have. So when I first got diagnosed, I got a uh, diagnosed with uh stemia, which is like a, a form of like uh of depression. Yeah. You know, serious depression, but I would have these lows that were so bad. And then like a week later, I could feel it kind of building up where like I knew I was going to be up for three days. I was up for three days. I thought I owed people money like that. I didn't even owe people money. Like 
I was turning lights on and off in my apartment all through hours of the night. I wasn't answering phone calls. I didn't shower. I remember at one point I was so afraid to even go to the bathroom. I was I was urinating in, in a mason jar. I was just so afraid of, of of everything. And then when it got to that point where I was just like, I, I can't live like this anymore. Like I've told the story on here before, but it's like I said, I'm just gonna fucking kill myself, dude. I, I cannot do this. This is just a horrible way for a human being to like to just live every day. And then, you know, you're around people, they're not educated and they're not specialists in this thing. And I didn't have health insurance, so I wasn't seeing a therapist. I wasn't talking to anybody. I was talking to my friends and my family. I love them all very much, but it's like none of them have a degree in psychology or psychiatry. So they have no idea what's going on with me. They just think it's, it's this normal thing that you're just going through a part in your life. But the thing was, especially when I knew everything in my life was going great. There was nothing that was externally supposed to give me this kind of sensation to the point where why am I fucking so damn depressed right now? Like, why is this happening to me? I have a great job. I live in a great area. I'm doing something that I would love for a living. And everything is great. Why the fuck is this happening to me now? And that kind of added a lot to it. We're talking like severe panic attacks, almost to the point like the night terrors, the hypnic jerks that I was having were just horrible. I would get like five to 10 minutes of sleep a day, almost for about almost three days. And then at the end of the third day, I was like, this is it, dude. I'm going to fucking kill myself. I can't do this anymore. Something went off in my head. They were like, listen, you haven't tried going to a hospital. Let's try that first. When I went into the hospital, you know, I was able to kind of get baselined out. And you know how it is in the beginning. They make you try all these different medications and you're up and down. It's like, you don't even know what you have. They're not even like telling you what's going on with you. You're just kind of there. And like, they're like, here, try this 10 milligrams, try this 20. Let's do this. I think you're a good candidate for Zoloft. I'm like, dude, like, I just need to get better. You know, I was like, I need to learn some fucking coping mechanisms, some, you know, like burn sage around my head. Like, I need to figure this out, like, right now. But to, to answer your question so long windedly, I didn't really notice that I was having mania until in my late 20s when I started to feel it building and coming on. And I would have these almost like euphoric type moments. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that, but like, it was almost like, the first time like I ever did acid, almost. I was almost just like, everything was so interesting. I thought I was so interesting. Things around me were like, uh, like exuberant. And then I would have these crashes where I was just like, this is, I've never felt lower than anything in my entire life. So then when I got my diagnosis, a part of me was like, you know, when you're going through mental stuff, I was like, I almost wish I had fucking cancer. At least I would know. Yeah. You know, and it's like, hey, like, we're going to do radiation or like, we're going to do this. You have like this cancer. I'm like, all right, at least I knew something was going on and we could all physically see it on a radar or whatever, an X-ray, a CAT scan, whatever. But when you're going through this stuff and I'm sure you could attest to this, you have no fucking idea what's going on with you. And then you're just entrusting your life to these strangers that you never met. It takes a lot to take that leap of faith to be like, okay. And when I heard my diagnosis though, I was like, you know what? Thank God, because that at least gives me some kind of, explanation of why this is happening to me. But my thing was, all right, diagnosis, that's great. What the fuck am I supposed to do now? Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in and there's a lot of bad information out there. A lot. 
for most people I talk to, there's there's no one really like holding their hand, guiding them through the process. Like they were just left to our own devices and to figure it out on our own. And it's not always apparent because it feels like the depression is finally lifted and that this is the real you, that this is who I could be. Like if I wasn't so depressed all the time, like I can accomplish so many things, I can have all this energy finally and uh, my mind is racing and like I have this like energy just like surging throughout my body. I know like uh, mania can affect people differently in different ways. Like, for sure. Like for me, that's how it felt like uh, where it, like I have like reached my true form and no one else can really understand it. No one else can like really like appreciate it. They think that like I'm like I'm manic that I'm and I'm sick and like to me they're sick. Yes. And they're weak. They don't understand like like people can be like this and it's not a bad thing but since people like get scared and they can want to control people who are manic put them in boxes and lock them up like we're we're missing out and it's like um, if you can only harness it the the manic energy in a way that can be productive like imagine like what you could do like this is going in my mind and like i, I still like uh bounce back and forth of like, like what exactly uh is the purpose of mania because i believe it's like everything's got a purpose. And like, for me, it kind of like wakes me up to like, realize like, Hey, you don't have to let like the universe, like just have its way with you. Like you don't have to like completely just be like sucked into the depression and let the depression win. Like you can be a badass. You can just throw it all away and like, just like rise up. For me, it was, it's just like that wake up call that I needed that like, I don't have to take shit from people. Like, I don't have to just like no, for sure. put up with stuff like people walking over me or just like bowing over to anyone. And like, I can stand up for myself. I can say to people like, no, this is bullshit. Like, I don't have to do these things or like I've like I've done someone's like such and such. And like, I demand some respect. Did you ever have like kind of like changes in your in your mania where it's like for some reason, like, I, I don't know if mania can progress at all. But like, even like when I get manic now, it's like, I get fucking angry, you know, like it used to be kind of like golden God complex, I guess. But then now it's like, I just get like angry, like the smallest things. Like if I get knocked off of my thought either by like somebody else or just like external stuff, like even like on television, I get so fucking angry and it's, it lasts for like a day or so. And then I come down. And I'm like, dude, I cannot believe that I just put on a performance like that. I definitely do get angry. And for me, that that anger is is a result of because like I'm not getting what I want. Like I know what I want. Like I I, I can do all these things and like people are just like being slow. And so like that, that's, that's where the anger comes from. Cause if it only just people just gave me their money yeah, <laughs> and like yeah, right, treated yeah. me like with the respect that I deserve, then like I could like do these things like I could be the king of the world and like like run things appropriately. Obviously, you're type one, right? Or are you type two? I've actually never been diagnosed one way or the other. Like I, I would say two, like because I don't have like I got diagnosed type two. They said, but sometimes I'm like I don't know. I might be a one doctor. I literally talked talk to my therapist yesterday. I said I might be straddling the fence. I might be one and a half. Yeah, like because you have like some like paranoia issues and yeah, yeah I, I can I can see that. Like I tend to not get like too caught up in me too. Uh, labels. Like for me, like bipolar is enough. Like I don't like some people yeah. like, they want like the exact like DSM code. I gotta do math like, now. Yeah, they want like the sub letter of the, the the number and Roman numerals and all that stuff. <laughs> and it's just it's just bipolar. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. I have some kind of like you know I don't have the, the the bipolar bible around. I don't know like what book I am, what chapter, what verse, but like. 
when when I got that, when you got your diagnosis, I was alleviated when I got one. When you got your diagnosis, where did your head kind of go? I wanted the diagnosis. I knew I was bipolar. I stopped seeing my psychiatrist uh, for a while because I thought I was better. And then when I had the crash and I just basically back crying for help, I was trying to explain it. Like I had some medical and and like she had never seen any of this because I was gone the whole time. And so it it took a while to convince her. And thankfully, she did eventually believe me, which is not uh, to be said for everyone in those situations. Right. Yeah, like I knew I was bipolar and it was good to to get that confirmation from doctors, but it's like it was clear cut after that experience and you were like it was almost like an aha moment for you like ah, I knew it. Yeah, I, I never really agreed with my diagnosis and like I knew I had something though and I was like consuming so much knowledge about bipolar. It was weird because the first manic episode actually lasted like around 2 months and I've only had two like really manic episodes since then both have lasted a day yeah only i woke up manic and then i woke up the next day i was no longer manic i can't find anyone else my doctor won't even believe me actually who has those experiences the one day manic episode mine are usually a couple like two or three days to like even a week and they come and go like almost throughout the day like i just become the most irritable agitated person like on planet earth where it's like everything that's being said to me is fucking stupid. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, I'm just like, please just like stop talking to me. I was like, you know, if everyone just left me the fuck alone, I'd be perfectly fine. But everyone keeps fucking bothering me. But then like I go back and replay the footage. I'm like, dude, like, look what you're doing. It's like your body language is horrible. Like you're not sleeping. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. I usually get stuck in like a two or three day to a week. Yeah. Let me ask you, do you believe that that bipolar energy can be harnessed? Yeah, 100%. So when I first got diagnosed, I was very embarrassed and kind of scared to like tell people because I'm like, these people are going to think I'm fucking crazy, you know? And then I remember like telling my fiance now, who was my girlfriend at the time, I said, listen, you know, I have something to tell you. She was one of the first people I told that I have bipolar. And she was like, all right, well, it kind of makes sense. And I was like, okay. I was like, I thought this was going to go a lot worse. She was like, no, like, this is good. Like, now you could, like, figure out, like, coping. I think a lot of people have to understand, too, and I'll get back to your question, that mental health is, like, 90% homework. You can only be in a therapist's office for so long. You have to do a lot of self-work. And that's where I find, like, cognitive behavioral therapy was, like, fantastic for me. Like, it was the one thing that really clicked in learning coping mechanisms, especially to deal with the anxiety and the panic side of it. But yeah, uh, to answer your question, I do think it can be harnessed, but I think it's when we let it be our entire creative process or our entire being and our entire identity, that's almost worse because it's almost like this is where I have all this talent, right? Like you consider yourself a talented guy, right? Yeah. You know, I consider myself a talented guy. And it's almost like for me, it's do I need to have that bipolar energy? to be as, as awesome as I am. Like, you know, it's almost like in comedy, right? It's like comedians are all fucking depressed and sad, you know? And it's like, we kind of harness it, but like, we also tell jokes and we're like the saddest people in the room because it's like, we're actually telling jokes about actual pain, about actual things. We're just making levity out of it. I think that what we have and what we've been diagnosed with does make us who we are in a sense. But like you said, harnessing it, it in, to a total package, like someone like you that does mental health advocacy, uh, 
public speaking, live streaming. Like, I don't know if you would really be doing this stuff if you haven't already harnessed it. Yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd probably still be trying to act and like doing the plays like underneath the Chinese restaurants. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that, but this is something that you're already harnessing it because that this is your life. This is what you deal with. This is what you still deal with every day. And I think when people watch shows like this, where they go and see someone you like speak like public speaking, like they're looking to see somebody that's going to like, you know, like how they used to do in church where they put the hand on your head and like throw you and like start shaking and shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they think it's going to be like that, but they have to understand is that we're survivors and sufferers too. You know what I mean? It's just that we want our voice to reach other people because we want to help people. But it also at the end time, we're harnessing what we're going through. And also we kind of need it to help ourselves. Yeah. I mean, cause like people often ask me and like, if, uh, if you could take away the bipolar, like could you and, or like, do you hate being bipolar? And, and the thing is, it's like, I don't hate or love being bipolar. Bipolar just is, and it's a part of me. And like, it's, it's not really worth my mental energy to think about like, if I wasn't bipolar, well, that's never going to happen. Right. And I, and I can't change the past. And so like, I have to just accept like what is in front of my face, like what is part of me and roll with it and make the best of it. Like the best analogy I can give is like to like, like X-Men where like they have these, these superpowers and I don't really like, like to call like bipolar superpower. I don't like to glamorize it that much, but like, right, right. The best analogy I, I can think of where it's like, you have this thing in you that like you, you can't figure out everyone's scared of like no one's helping you like guide you through it or like or trying to tell you like hey you don't have to be scared of this thing you can actually harness it like you can like actually like turn a negative into a positive and like make the most of it you're not a freak you're not a mutant you're just built differently and we need people like you and you can still contribute a lot to this world not just despite of it because of it right and as long as like you you keep yourself in check and you, you have your support network and you have people guiding you and doing what you got to do to be healthy then mania bipolar or any mental illness like you can live with it and it doesn't have to be a bad thing like even when it is it feels like it's taken over your life like it can still um, have some kind of value because for me like when i get depressed it's because like there's something going in my life that there's some unmet need there's something wrong and i may not always realize it but if i'm depressed then there's got to be something there and i start with that it's like well, if I've been depressed for this long and I don't know the reason why, then there's got to be something out there. So I have to like do the work to try to figure it out. And so like same thing, when I, what I said about mania, where it's like, I, sometimes I need that kick in the ass to wake me up and like, to not just be, um, content with depression taking over my life. I agree. There definitely are benefits to it. There's uses for it. And so like, I, I just don't want to villainize mania or bipolar some people like they want to treat it like this awful thing that has robbed them of their life of their the, all the potential and all the stuff and it's like i can't uh, look into a magic mirror or whatever like to see what my life would look like if it wasn't bipolar maybe it'd be worse but it's also like i think you made a great analogy like a superhero like we don't want to say it's a superpower but what i'm saying is it's almost like an analogy to like superman right he has all of this power that you know he harnesses you know for good but Superman has been bad a couple times, you know, like the, in the Justice League, like they had to go after Superman, like Superman was tripping a little bit. Superman was manic. He was going through some shit. It is a good analogy. And it's also to a point where it's like you said, like bipolar just is right. And you really got to think about it is science in a way needs us. So they could either, you know, I hope that 20 years from now, the treatment is 10 times better than it is now. 
you know, I think mental health awareness is at an all time high and I'm very happy about that. But I do think there's a lot of misinformation that's thrown around these days and it's causing people to almost self-diagnose themselves before even going and seeing a doctor um, or somebody that, you know, went to school for 15 years uh, and studied this one aspect. But it's got me to a point where I feel that in a way I can harness it. But when I'm manic, dude, I'm not getting shit done. You know, like I'm just trying to survive at that point. Like in terms of like, I just like don't want to yell at my fucking dog or like yell at this postal worker or like, you know, but like it's so hard to be a day to day person when you're manic. And for me, at times, there is kind of like a perfect balance for me where like, uh, I feel a little whatever, but like, I'm going to try and be creative through that feeling. I'm going to try and work my way through it. But if it's full-blown mania time, dude, watch out. You know what I mean? I'm not going to do anything. And, and that's like the hardest part for me because it's almost like those movies where they're like, remember your training. It's almost like I'm talking to myself. Like when I'm manic, I don't know if you do this when you're manic. I talk to myself a lot. I talk to myself a lot throughout the day. I really do. It's just something that's been a part of me my whole life. But yeah, just like you said, there are ways to harness it because I think what we're doing right now in a way is harnessing it. Dude, me and you can hop off of this call right now and God forbid something can happen and me and you could just be super manic for like the next three days. It's crazy. It's, it's like the ticking time bomb effect of it is scary. But like, I'm thankful enough that I've had the diagnosis long enough that I can try and reel it back in if I'm if I know I'm getting to a point where I know I'm going to tip over. It's like an exaggeration of all your characteristics. It's like just turning the value of them on it. Yes. So if someone like deals with anger issues, like when they're manic, like that, that might already be a part of their self. But when you're manic, the value goes up. And so what the benefit of there could be like, well, obviously have like anger, like pent up in me that needs to be addressed because it's definitely there and it's just exaggerated when and made more apparent when I'm manic, but that's from a place that coming from within. And so there, there could be things that need to be examined and, and the good things too. Like, so like you're a lot more ha happier. Some, some people are and a lot more energy. And so like, it's parts of yourself that need to be examined too. Like, like, why am I happy? Like, what is the thing that like gives me this energy? And so there's, it's definitely a time to, to examine these things that are being amplified and like basically put it under a microscope. Right. Yeah. I never really heard it that way. That's, that's actually very interesting. Do you ever have days where you wake up and you're like super juiced up and you're like, Oh, wait a second. Most days, like I, I'm just completely exhausted <laughs> and fatigued and like, I never really right, got off right. the ground because of the past couple experiences where I woke up and I was manic and it was like a, like a 24 hour affair. Yeah. You're super <laughs> juiced up. You're like, Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Especially if it's like, doesn't feel like there's a specific reason it's never turned out to be like full blown mania. Cause I say full blown mania. Like I, I definitely have manic aspects of, of myself at times. Like I asked my wife once, like if uh, there are times where you thought like I was actually manic and she said, yes. And like, and I wasn't, but like, it wasn't like I was like completely obvious. Like you really have to like, like know me intimately and like, like live with me and like observe me right. to see those differences. But yeah, it's, it's all part of a spectrum. And like, definitely like there are times where it's just like full blown, but it's still, it's always a part of you. It's just like this, it, it's, it's weird how that works out. Have you ever had uh, the impulsivity? Yeah, definitely with spending. Oh my God. Amazon is like my manic best friend. I'm just like, oh, like I need 500 AA batteries. 
Yeah, I remember when I when I got all my back pay from my um, veteran's disability, I was like praying, like, please don't go manic. Please don't go manic because you're going to blow all of this. Right. <laughs> it, it, it's happened to me so many times, dude. It's more than I really want to admit where I'm just like, it's almost like I got blackout drunk and I wake up and I'm like, dude, you bought $420 worth of shit on Amazon last night. You better cancel some of that. Uh, yeah, thankfully, like, I, I, I've returned so many things to Amazon. <laughs> Oh, me too. And the weirdest thing is too, is like the justification that goes on in your head while you're doing it. Cause like after a while, you kind of know that you're manic and you know, you shouldn't be doing it. But for some reason back in the day, I can control it a lot better now. But like, it was just like, no, like I need this. Like something was telling me like, you need that though. Like this thing is going to wash your back and your butt at the same time. You need it. I'm just like, cool. They're like, oh, that's a Roomba. You need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so like, I'm just like, dude, I'm, I'm I'm buying loofahs and Roombas, all kinds of Oombas. And then I'm looking at my bank account and now I'm really depressed <laughs> after that. I've returned so much shit, Rudy. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, definitely with that. I'm definitely a, a riskier driver Do a lot more speeding and swerving and stuff like that. And like, which is not a really safe thing to do when you live in L.A. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Especially because you probably, you know, you're in traffic every two seconds. Oh, yeah. Last time I was manic. I was like, I'm just going to drive on the pay line, the toll line, and I'll figure it out later. Yeah. I was like, yeah, no, whatever. I'll pay whatever it is to like not be in here. That's another thing, too, that I feel like a lot of people don't know is like when we're doing stuff like this and somehow in our brain, we've created like a callus where it's like a safe zone. If I'm in the crowd, I'm struggling for the most part. But if I'm in front of the crowd there's like this weird brain callus that I have that is like, oh no, like this is cool. Like we can handle this. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. And like all the stuff that goes on in our head and like the things we tell ourselves and like the, the mental gymnastics we play. And it's always interesting, like looking back afterwards, like after the crash and like, think like, wow, like that doesn't feel like me, but it was me. Like it felt like there was like a, like another body in there or some, it's just really weird. It feels yeah. And it feels like a lot longer time ago. Like even if it was like the day before, like it feels like such like so distant. I would say like my last manic episode was like a few months ago. And then it was like, almost like you said, I was like, oh, that was like in like 1994. I was like, that happened so long ago. I don't know if it's like a shameful part of me that like of my brain that like wants to get away from it. But then like, it was so exhausting. Like I'll sleep for two days after I won't move. Like, I can't do anything. Do you have those as well? Like, when you crash, like, do you sleep for, like, a day and a half? No. Like, I I, mean, I definitely have done that before, but yeah, probably didn't help that. Like, I was, like, going to school and I had, like, responsibilities to do, like, all that stuff. And so, like, I, I had to get yeah, up. Yeah. But, like, yeah, like, I definitely have taken meds that have, like, made me sleep all day. Oh, for sure. For sure. So, you get back. Family, like, kind of throws you a banger of a barbecue, which is kind of tight. You get the barbecue. You're trying to figure it out. Then you go back to school. And you had another catatonic episode in school, right? Yeah. And it was actually in the theater uh, for a play that we were rehearsing for. I had told one of the directors that I was like struggling, but um, I had missed a rehearsal once. Um, you're not supposed to miss any rehearsals too. And like, I, I knew there was a big risk that I actually ended up getting fired from the play. And thankfully he understood, but it was like my, my first time, like getting back in the theater in quite some time. And I was going to a new school and meeting new people, wanting to prove my worth and show them what I'm made of. Like a lot of these people, like they've never done anything else. Right. And like, I've, I've been on stages all over the place 
And so like for me, like I came in there with some of the proof and I was getting like very bit roles, like two, three lines. Um, and like feeling like, um, not like living up to my potentials. Like I really wanted to, to demonstrate what I was made of, but just, um, one at one play where we're doing, I was really struggling and I show up there and I talk to the, the customer who at, at one point, um, at rehearsal had said like, um, if anyone's ever struggling, come to me. Cause like we had had like um, past students uh, die of suicide, didn't open up, right. didn't seem like the, they were struggling on the outside and she wanted to avoid that. And so I came straight to her and said like, Hey, remember that time you said that thing is like, I need help. Like I'm really struggling. And like, before I knew it, I was going chatonic again. Thankfully I was, I was sitting down in a, in a, in a theater seat at that point, but it was in front of everyone. I had to be stretchered out. Yeah front of my theater mates, my classmates. And that was very embarrassing, especially since I didn't think I needed it. I didn't need to be stretchered out. I'd already came to you by that point, but I thought I was a threat that I was at risk. Getting stretchered out of anywhere is one of the most fucking embarrassing things. Yeah, ever. Especially when like, you know, you don't need it. Yeah. Yeah. You know how many times I've been stretchered out of somewhere with like a panic attack and it's just like, this is, I'm never going to recover from this. <laughs> if you're going to get stretched out, you might, you might want to like be like a unconscious or like immobile. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, guys, you have to like crack my head open or something. Cause if these people in this building see me again, like getting stretchered out, I, I don't know if I can handle this. Yeah, it's a tough ride. And uh, thankfully, that was just a, a one day stay in the emergency room. And I, I got out, and that maybe like three or four weeks later, I had a catatonic episode at home. I was, I was living with a roommate at the time, and she called 911, and then they, they came, picked me up, put me in restraints onto the stretcher, like couldn't really move myself and just like begging them to take them off. Like didn't feel like I needed it and going to the hospital and they actually like had put a catheter in me to test me for drugs. I just felt like so abused. So just dirty. Yeah. Like I remember that guy in the army, like that they ha happened to him. Like someone told me they saw that and just like in my mind, it's like, oh my God, that's gotta be the worst thing. Someone doing that to you and you can't do anything about it. Oh. You're in restraints and just like begging them not to do it. Very traumatizing thing. And then from there, I, I go to the psych ward again uh, for another seven days and also a very miserable experience. And just being like, what am I doing with my life? Where is this leading to? Like, I'm still not opening up about my mental health too. And like, I was like, I need to do something different. Like I had like same kind of epiphany that I had like right before I joined the army and I, I need these in my life. It like jolts me and it's like your life is going in the wrong direction. And like, remember you said that you're meant for great things. This is not great. Do you regret joining the army and do you regret going back to school? It's so complicated. I wish the experience didn't happen, but then it also led to me getting a disability, which provides me security and like the ability to do like things like go out, travel and uh, do mental health events and stuff and not have to like be reliant on that alone for money. Right. And I would not have gotten that otherwise. And so it's, it's, it's very tingled up and it sucks because I, I'm not, I'm not thankful for the trauma, but like I wouldn't go back and change it. But yeah, it's very complicated. So in that sense, right. So you're 26 in college, you have another catatonic state, you go back into the psych, you get out. How old are you now? I am 34, going to turn 35 in August. I'm 33. I'm 34 in January. So we're like the same age. I have two questions. At, at what point did you really say like, you know what? I'm going to have a passion for speaking about this. It was definitely around that time. And like, I knew it was time for me 
to open up and like I was not going to get cast in any more plays at that school after that. (laughs) And so like I I learned about this program, this organization uh, called NAMI, the National Alliance of Mental Illness, and they have a, a speaker program. And I was like, oh my God, this, this is exactly what I'm looking for because I want to share my story, but it's like a super hard field to get into because it's like, you got to like basically like cold call and like go up to people and ask them and like, hey, I'm a crazy person. Give me yeah. money to speak. And so like, here's a program. Yeah. Like all you got to do is, uh, is go through the training and then they'll start putting you out on jobs and stuff like that. And so it was, it was really cool. But like I had to take this other program first. And then get through that. I almost failed. I almost failed it. I almost dropped out because I didn't think I was headed in me to continue. And thankfully I did. But then I had to wait an entire year to wait for the next training program for speakers. You're waiting all over the place, man. They got you messed up. Yeah, a lot, a lot of waiting. And so I finally made it through there and I was like on fire. Like I, every single time, like they had a call for speakers. I don't care if I have to drive like over an hour. doesn't matter. Like if it's from one end of LA County to the other, like I'm all for it. Like send me, send me, send me. So I, I was the guy who was always like, they, they'd send out an email. Like we need someone to speak at a psych ward in Long Beach uh, next weekend. Or we had someone just drop out. Can someone like fill up for the spot? And I'm like always like immediately like checking my phone, like responding, like with, as soon as I get the, the, the email alert, any opportunity. And like, it's weird because like, I would always like get like this, like anxiety beforehand. Like, like sometimes like, I feel like I don't want to do this, but like once I got up there, it was like back on stage. Yeah. I had that same, same passion, that same like jolt of energy, like, cause like standing with theater, like I would get that anxiety or like, I'd feel tired and like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then I'd get on stage and it's like, boom, boom, boom. And so like, yeah, it was clear that this is what we're going to do with the rest of my life. Beautiful, man. So basically you're down to go all over. You got it. I'll go and do it. I'm sure you've met some amazing people doing this. Are you still in like correspondence with like people that you see? Like, do you have like a network that, you know, people can actually like come and and join where people can actually find you and all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't have like my own like like company or organization, but like, I'm very active on social right. media, and like, I I do the the live streams for the mighty, and so like, I'm always finding different ways to to express myself, and not just to share my story, but to highlight others. Like, it was weird because like I I thought like I was like being on stage, like being in front of people, being the one man show. Uh, it wasn't until I started doing other events where I was, was featuring others where I discovered my true true goal and like true uh, meaning in life was to build things to to build platforms for others to have like have platforms where people can come together and like can um, express themselves and like I can like oversee it and I can run it and I can provide it for others and that's what I love doing the most actually like actually I don't even really do public speaking at all anymore (laughs) right right I think that's a very important thing it's like you don't have to be front and center to like make a difference I think a lot of people think like you have to be front and center, but like I tell people all the time, the real heroes, especially in this mental health game, man, are the people that are working day in, day out behind the scenes, like taking care of shit. I only have my story and and what I went through. And if it resonates with somebody, I love that. That's amazing. But there are people that are grinding behind the scenes that you'll never even hear about. It's a, uh, it's challenging, but rewarding. And like, I love um, like, 
meeting people, reconnecting with people. Like I, I have people who have seen me present, seen me speak at, at conferences or, or went to their classroom and reached out to me later. I love, I love that stuff. One of the best letters I ever got was from a high school student who said after hearing me speak, like they're finally going to open up about their eating disorder to their parents. Wow. I have like, I um, had these, these self-image issues, low self-worth my entire life. Like never thought like I would amount to things like, even though like I knew I should, it's just like, it's constant, that constant battle. And so to have something like that is so amazing. Or just as people like saying, like, I, uh, like what you say, like I talk about a lot about like anti-force treatment and people who were like often like told that it was for their own good and like knew deep down that it wasn't. Can you explain for the audience what that is? Like basically an involuntary hold where like your someone will call 911 on you or whatever and cops or whatever, they'll, they'll come, they'll, they'll pick you up, they'll put you in restraints and they'll put you in a psych ward for like seven days or much longer even. And you have no real say over it. Like you just have to just play the game and hope that they deign you ready to go back into society and you basically have no rights at all. <laughs> And so, yeah, and like that, I've had that happen to me, told it was for my own good and that like you should be thankful and all this stuff. And it's like, no, like that's not OK. Like, I'm not thankful. I'm not going to say that it was for my own good. And like I, I've gone on on um, to conferences and, sp- and spoken about this. I've gone to uh, other people's events and like like during like public comment and being like, so like, no, like forced treatment is bad. And like, um, it's, it's very validating when people reach out to me and say like, like, I wish I could have said that what you said. And so like, I know that I'm doing something right with my life when stuff like that happens. It is very like reassuring. It's, it's, you know, like when we get DMS or messages about the show and it's like, Hey, listen, like I was thinking about doing something then like I listened to the show and I went and got some help today or, or anything along those lines. It's like, it's so reassuring to me. It's like, thank, thank God or whoever, or whatever. For me, it's like we're helping people. And I think that's just something that sometimes in the rat race of life, it's like hard to juggle so many things. But sometimes I just like to come back to that feeling and be like, you know what? I'm making a difference, whether it's through like my comedy shit or whether it's through mental health. You know, I hope that you stop and give yourself your props is what I'm going through. Is that, like I said before, we struggle too. You know, so I really do hope that you take the time throughout, you know, whatever the day or that you do have some self reassurance because I've too have had body issues. I've had weight issues. I've had lots of things. I beat myself up a lot. I really, really do. I'm a lot better now. But the thing that really helped me was that I kind of gave myself some credit where it was due. I think that goes a long way, especially in your mind. If you joke around and say that you're a fat piece of shit, a hundred times, at some point, your brain is going to actually start believing that shit. Yeah. You could train your brain to really think that you're a piece of shit and you're not. It's almost these like negative affirmations about yourself. And that to me was, and like still is like one of the hardest things I deal with is like, why am I being so negative to myself? You got to take time to like really give yourself some props. I hope that you do do that. One of the benefits of doing the the videos and the live stream is I can look back on past work and like, yeah, I was, like, I was on fire that day. Like I actually like did some good shit that day. Yeah, <laughs> it is true. It's nice in this world we live in. We're like, I like that one. That one was nice. I appreciate that one. So obviously, you know, you mentioned that you're married. When did you meet your wife? I met her uh, online on Facebook on tw- like 2018. We started talking online um, and then started messing each other every day, then every hour. And then I finally was like, 
I want to see you. And she didn't believe me because she lived in Boston and I lived in Los Angeles. And so it didn't feel like it, it would, would happen. But And I'd had experiences in the past where like I, I flew out to see someone that I thought like there might be something there and it just didn't work out. And so like I was really worried about that. And like I was also like, I'm going to see this through because there have been uh, times in the past where I got cold feet and like I got out of a relationship probably prematurely when like I I should have saw it through. So I'm like, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to commit. I'm going to like be happy. Like I, I, I wanted to no longer be on my own, be lonely. I was so lonely beforehand. And as much as I value my independence, like being alone all the time just sucks. Oh, it's the worst. I can't stand it. Like I have a dog and I was like, oh, my dog's alone. I got him a dog. Yeah. I didn't even have a dog. Nobody could be alone. And so thankfully we we really hit it off. And then she came to visit me and then she moved in the following month. And then a couple of months after that, I proposed to her on stage at a show up we were doing. And then we got married two weeks later. Love it. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Oh my God. It's going to be our four year anniversary in October. I can't believe that. That's, hey, listen, years start flying by, baby. Especially with Corona. I was like, oh, I didn't even know. What like I'm, I'm still writing 2021 on like checks. Like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I have no idea like what, where the time is going, but that's a beautiful thing. So like, how does your wife deal with your bipolar? She's actually never experienced like me being full blown manic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. No, that's good. But like, I mean, she definitely d- does this witness the depression and I mean, she's bipolar herself and um, she also is autistic. And so, oh, wow. I always figured like I would end up with someone else like who can also like knew those experiences and like was was an advocate because it's just it's like i've I've tried dating people who were like were on the outside i guess (laughs) yeah outsiders yeah it's hard for them to truly understand and to to get it and when i'm depressed like it it can really be hard on our marriage because like i can't be as emotionally available i can't like contribute to us as much as i want to because it's super checked out yeah yeah, because I'm just being like completely drowning in this thing. And it's hard, like, especially if I'm like meds are not working, not like where I want to be in my life. Something is missing. The benefit of being alone is that you have no one really to disappoint yourself. And so like you can take that time. I can get over self-disappointment faster. Than I can get off disappointing someone else. Yeah. And so you could take that time to just like just basically just lay around and like not do anything and just hope that like you you pick yourself out of it later but if you're married you don't you don't get that same benefit and so you really don't that's been hard of like like okay you're the press and it sucks and everything that, that that's that still doesn't give you the right to just like like be like this black hole where like it, everything just gets it's sucked in and but that kind of has like it's it's benefits though too in a way like you said it's like not kind of like dating an outsider but then it's like also like you know like you're taking medications and like what your low is going to be like, you know, that's kind of like a security blanket, like as hard as bipolar is like, sounds kind of nice. And I know that my wife will never like call 911 on me to like have me like 5150 to put right. on voluntary hold. And so that that's helpful because um, she's seen me catatonic and she didn't freak out. She like I told her what to expect and other people have. And I ended up in the psych ward. And thankfully, it's it's been since 2012 since I've been in the psych ward and hopefully I'll never go back. So yeah, that is helpful. Someone who, who gets it. And I mean, and she's, she's done like the peer support too. And like she's worked for organizations and so like she gets it. So that, that is, that is very helpful because we're already have those advantages that a lot of couples don't, right? especially ones where like it's discovered in the middle of the marriage. Yeah. That's never fun. <laughs> that's, that can't be fun. 
it definitely can, can be a struggle at times, but I, I'm glad she's there and I'm glad she gets it. That's beautiful. And accepts me. Like she knows all these things about me that would scare a lot of people away. And she died right in and I'm very thankful for that. And realistically, you know, you know, just hearing you tell your story, like that's kind of been something you've been looking for your entire life. Yeah, it has been a battle because like I have always felt that loneliness, but I also like have like valued my independence and like wanted to like to be my own man and not answer to anyone on stuff. But like I want to be with someone. So yeah, it's, it's quite the mindfuck at times. But overall, like I am, I am definitely, I'm glad I have her because like I could not um, have continued just being alone for the rest of my life. I would have been miserable person. I would have been one of those dudes who's like, like barely ever sees sunlight has like 20 screens on the wall with like, <laughs> yeah. like 10 different forms of porn, all this stuff. It just like old newspapers. Oh yeah. It just yeah. would have been, been awful. You want to know what's kind of crazy too. It's like, I feel people like us, it almost gives us like a new lease on life to like, you know, like we have to perform. Like we have to be a good husband. We have to be a good fiance. We can't just lay around all day and expect somebody to like want to stay with us or be with us. It kind of gives us like that, like you said, like you need that necessary kick in the ass sometimes, like coming out of mania. I think it's good when we have a partner because as human beings, we're not created to be solo. This is not how humans work. But there are times where I'm just like, yeah, I love being alone, but don't leave me. It's a very strange balance with us from time to time. Like, I'll just be like, I just want to be left alone, but like sit right next to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> People it, need to be more comfortable just sitting around each other and shutting the fuck up together. It's just like, yeah, like you can be on your phone. Like we're here. We're, we are together. Like we're chilling though. You know, if you need something, I'm here, I'm available, but like, Hey, like, yeah, like you want to watch the Kardashians? Cool. Like I'll watch the Yankees on my phone. Like, you know, like, it's not the end of the world. It's like, we all know like what the bottom line here is we love each other and we want to make each other's lives better. I just want to thank you for what you do. I want to thank you for taking the time out. And I just hope the best for you, man. Like, you know, that, that, that's it. And the last question that I ask is I ask this at the end of every episode is, are you happy today? Yes. I'm eager to like, like really start like planning like my, my next steps in life. And like, I feel like I actually have the time to do so and like have like the, um, like the mental capacity to do so. Yeah, yeah. And so like, I actually have like some good things lined up in my head and that like, I'm, I want to map out to over the next few days while I'm alone and like laser focus in on like, what is the next step? Cause like I need another kick in the pants and I need to like get back on the right track. And I'm glad that we're talking now. Cause like when like, um, assistant originally uh, reached out to me, like I, I really had like nothing going on in my life. And so like, I picked like the last possible like date option and it's like, maybe, maybe by then I'll have something going on. Yeah. So, it's like, I don't want to do this show. And they're like, why? I'm like, I don't have anything to promote. <laughs> like, I'm just a person right now. I'm just here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like definitely, definitely the future is like, I want to, I want to do more in-person stuff. Like I love doing storytelling events, like open mic type stuff and like just really doubling down on that. I love technology. Like I love video. Like, I love microphones and all that stuff. And like, so like I always try to like find ways to like do like multimedia type stuff and just like blend everything together. And I still have that passion for theater. So I just love I love things to be theatrical. It's like, I don't, I don't want it to just be what everyone else is doing. I want it to be like two, three steps beyond that. You're a full send type of guy that no half measures. I am all about like exceeding expectations. Yes. That, that is a, uh, a trait that I envy, sir. I will tell you that I've gotten better with that, but like, I wish I could be like more full send. 
Yeah, I've definitely half-assed it plenty of times. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, trust me. Attention to detail is very important in anything that you do. Yeah, sure. It's what separates us, really, because that's when you get to put your own actual spin on something. But uh, where can everybody find you on the internet? What do you have uh, for them to check out? Anything you want to promote? Go for it. If you go to my website, which you're probably familiar with, because uh, yes. it's how you reached out to me, rudycaceres.com, spelled like how it is in the, I guess, show description. Which yeah, you're- <laughs> yeah. We'll put a link in it too. Yeah. And so that's that's like the one-stop shop to like, you can see past uh, like um, live streams and other work that I've done. I've written some blogs too. And there's a contact sheet on every single page on my site. So like you can reach out to me if you want to collaborate, if you want me to be on your show, if you want to like like talk about mental health stuff on the mighty, just reach out. Like I, I love when people just do that. Like, Hey, I saw your stuff. That was awesome. That's cool too. On Twitter, on Instagram at Rudy Caceres. And then you can just connect with me, just Rudy Caceres on Facebook, follow my page. I do not give mental health support though. Even if I could, like, I'm just like, just horrible at it. So like, I'm, I don't. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's your personal journey too. So it's like, you know, I, I understand that too. I always try to like refer people to like, Hey, like go see a mental health specialist. Like, you know, I'm only entitled to like my story. Yeah. You know, and what I share. You know, everyone's journey is different. You know, if, if I can help you find resources, I'll help you with that. Yeah. But like, you know, sometimes it's tough, you know, because everything's so different. And like you said before, I think you put a great spin on it. You know, mental health is just a spectrum, man. A very, very big one. Vast. I get like when you're in those early days, like trying to figure out you want, you want to talk to people, you want like to have like answers. I usually do not have the answers. All I can say is that it is scary. Like you're not weak for thinking that or all that stuff. It is a lot to go through. And you should find people out. People should actually give support. Right. And it's not always a therapist, not always a doctor that it can be a community. Yes. And when I found my community of other mental health advocates, that made all the difference. So I, I try to stress that to people. It's, it's, you don't want, you don't want to like, like put all your faith in any one person either. If you can build a group around you or, or find a group that's going to be the thing that really sets you up for success. I agree 100%. And that's, you know, what you, what you try to do. And that's what we're trying to do here. And again, Rudy, thank you so, so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. I'll look forward to uh, coming on the mighty. Thanks for joining me on another episode of off the cuff presented to you by one-on-one life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate Entertainment. Ah!